Good morning, everyone. My name is Michelle. Um, I'm going to be leading the devotional this morning on Mark 53. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 53 to 65. Um, yeah, excuse my voice. This is kind of just the normal for me these days, but particularly bad this morning. But anyways, let's pray together and we can get started. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful morning. Thank you for waking us up. Um, despite wherever we've been in life, we can come to you and meet with your believers, um, share in the word. As we approach Easter, God, I pray that um, we really remember the road that you took to the cross and the joy of the resurrection. God, would you restore in us the joy of our salvation? Would you help us to remember the testimony that you have placed in our hearts? Would you help us to remember who you are in the face of suffering and misunderstanding and condemnation? Um, and help us to follow in that example, God. Um, thank you, Lord, for who you are in my life. You have changed my life, um, you know, from the very beginning and even till today and every day. Um, God, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would speak through um, this word this morning, um, and uh, yeah, that we would uh, we would leave as different people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay. Um, I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 53 to 65. This is um, Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Um, so if you'll read with me here. Um, <clears throat> they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days we'll build another, not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Um, so this is uh, the story of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. And uh, kind of a difficult passage to unpack, at least for me, um, just because there's so many emotional contexts um, of, of what's going on here. Um, and I think the main theme of it is Jesus being mis- um, misrepresented before the high priests and the teachers of the law and religious and intellectual people. Um, so just going um, from verse by verse, 53 and 54, it talks about Jesus um, was taken to the high priests. And this, I, I believe my understanding of this was that he was taken to the house of the high priest, um, Caiaphas at this time. And this was in the middle of the night. So this was after Jesus was arrested and Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard and sat with the guards at the fire, or at, yeah, sat with the servants and guards at the fire. Um, so my understanding was that this was at the high priest's house. It was at night. 
Um, so therefore, it was actually an illegal trial. Um, this was not a trial that was under Jewish law that was supposed to be in the day um, and supposed to be at the temple courts, um, but was held at somebody's house, at the high priest's house, and, and at night. Um, and again, Peter here um, just previously had declared that he would never leave Jesus. He had shown a brazen act of, of loyalty even at his arrest. Um, but here he follows at a distance um, in, in, the, in the temple courtyard. And um, yeah, I, I think there are several commentaries talking about how, you know, we, we claim to follow Jesus closely, but in the time of crucial um, trial, where are we standing in the, right next to Jesus or are we in the, you know, following at a distance? Um, but regardless, um, so here we are at an illegal trial, first of all, in the middle of the night in front of the chief priests. Um, and the chief priests and the Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many testified falsely against him and many did not agree. Um, and so my understanding is that, you know, the chief priests and these teachers of the law, they could not, they, they knew the law very well, but even these people could not find any testifying evidence against Jesus. And so <clears throat> they started to sort of bring up false testimony against him. Um, you know, heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made of human hands. In three days, I'll build another not made with human hands. And this testimony is actually strung together by a series of things that Jesus did say in front of the temple, but they they had been in different contexts. First, he had been talking about the temple, which is his body, which would be put to death and built and built again, not the actual temple that he would build again, for example. Um, but even when they're talking about this testimony, um, their testimonies did not agree. Um, and even and in the face of this testimony, um, Jesus would remain silent. And so I think this just made me think about how many people will testify against the gospel of Christianity, um, but few people will know the full gospel and truly disagree. Um, and many statements of the world or even the high priests or people in ruling power or religious people um, will make statements about about the gospel, um, but all of them will probably disagree at some point. Um, and it made me think about just the secular culture and the religious culture of this time. Um, there's not many people that um, disagree with the gospel of Christ, but disagree in the same way. And so um, I think it's just important for us to remember um, that when we do really know the full gospel of Christ and we know the truth, um, it, it's really hard to find some something to find against Jesus and to, um, you know, to make him worthy of death in this situation. Um, and also just knowing that the secular culture and the religious culture of this time um, will bring you false testimony and will bring you convincing false testimony um, by telling you things that um, are partially true or that can sound true, something like the temple um, made by human hands, the whole three days thing, like the chief priests have brought up. Um, but none of these are the full truth and um, you can find holes in all those testimonies. Um, and so again, like, like I said, these chief priests and teachers of the law could not find any evidence um, from all the knowledge that they know to put him to death at all. And in the face of that, Jesus still remained silent and gave no answer. And then, this, and then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And this is the first time that Jesus answers in this trial. And he said, I am, and you will see the son of heaven, son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
And so I thought that was kind of interesting that Jesus answers for the first time when he's asked about his identity, um, not when he's asked about what he has done or the miracles or whatever he has claimed to do. He has only answered when he's asked about who are you? And it reminded me of um, who God asks when Jesus asks um, uh, uh, Peter, who, who do you say I am? This is Mark chapter eight, verse 27. When he asks Jesus on the way, um, when Jesus asked the disciples on the way, he says, who do people say I am? And the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter asked, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And so, um, yeah, I just brought to mind, like when Jesus asked us and asked his disciples, asked Peter, um, you know, people will say all these kinds of things about me and share these kinds of testimonies about me. But what about you? What do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter correctly answered, you are the Messiah. And in this part, Jesus had warned them not to tell anyone about his identity. And previously, even in this chapter, um, he tells his disciples and anyone who witnesses his miracles not to tell um, anyone about his identity. But before the Sanhedrin, um, he, he declares that he's the Messiah. He's the son of the blessed one. And so he claims his identity in this time. And so, um, yeah, it just gave me a little bit of insight about um, when we're play when we are on trial and in face of judgment. Who do you say that Jesus is, and what is your testimony about Jesus, and who he is to you? Um, um, and then going on, verse sixty-three, sixty-four. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? Yes, you have heard the blasphemy. Blasphemy. What do you think? Um, and I thought that was interesting because um, among themselves, they asked, what do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. And so they ask each other about what they think he deserves and eventually condemn him on, um, you know, just this pretense of his, of his identity. And um, it just brought to mind that there was so many previous warnings about these people, about the teachers of the law. Um, many times in the book of Mark, um, Jesus talks about, um, how these teachers of the law, we should be careful of them and their judgment. Um, for example, verse 38 of chapter 12, he said, Jesus says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Um, they devour wid widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be pu punished most severely. And so I just thought it was interesting because these people have the most power in this, you know, ruling space. Um, yet when they are given the opportunity to, to judge and bring, um, you know, yeah, bring judgment upon someone like Jesus, they ask each other, what do you think? Um, and they all agree amongst themselves that he's worthy of death. And so it just brought to mind that when people are, in power and they are given the opportunity to bring judgment and they are able to only consult each other um this is the kind of judgment that will be brought upon um even the innocent and then the last verse they uh then some began to spit at him they blindfolded him struck him and with struck him with their fists and said prophesy and the guards took him and beat him and so in this space jesus was completely um, humiliated in a way, humiliated, mis misunderstood, unfairly treated, um, violently even. And so I don't know if any of us have been misunderstood for any reason, 
but I think it's truly one of the most isolating and frustrating experiences. Um, this is not even close to like what Jesus has experienced, but even when I'm at the airport and then they ask me about my ID and I give them my ID and they look for like five extra seconds, then they should, I feel frustrated. I am like, excuse me, who do you think I am? Why would I be trying to, you know, misrepresent myself here? And uh, I, I feel the anchor coming coming forth if I am misunderstood. And even on a, on a deeper level, um, people that I see that are misunderstood in our community, um, at the hospital, for example, there's people that are immigrant doctors into America. They are, they were like surgeons in their home country, or you know, big big people in their own country, or maybe engineers or CEOs. But when they move to America, this identity is not. Um, uh, accepted, especially in medicine, for example, and they have to go through the process again of of, of certifying their identity. And of, uh, many of them are unfairly treated in the hospital because they're unfairly, they're like not able to speak English as well, or they are ridiculed for it as a mother reason. But we all know that, you know, in their home countries, they were they were doctors and and, and people of power. And so I can only imagine how how ridiculed and misunderstood they must feel. Um, and furthermore, in this case, Jesus, the King of Kings, is ridiculed and unfairly treated violently by the, the most religious people of the time. And I think at any point, God could have corrected or condemned these people. He could have brought a flash of lightning and just destroyed them at an instant. Um, but uh, Jesus chose to fulfill the prophecy and obey, even in the face of humiliation, even in the face of false testimony. And he upholds his identity as the Messiah. Um, and, he, and he obeys even to the point of, you know, death upon the cross, which is imminent. Um, and I believe that says measures about his humility and his true love for us. <clears throat> and so, yeah, two, um, I guess, points I wanted to make generally about this passage is one, who do you say Jesus is? Um, testimony about Jesus's identity to us has power over any sort of law or ritual or governing body or power. Um, and it was Jesus's claim about his identity that infuriated the Sanhedrin and led to his condemnation. But religious condemnation and humiliation could never remove Jesus's identity as the Messiah and ultimate judge. Um, and I believe Jesus's identity is the core of our testimony um, as well. And I believe the most powerful testimonies are about who Jesus is to us and how he has shaped our lives more than what are the rules about Christianity or what are the rituals or how do they govern the way that we live? Um, and I just and I, I, I just thought that was that was important for me this week, just because there's so many ways that culture will try to identify Christianity and will try to box Christianity into a set of rules or a set of cultural beliefs and condemn it because of that. Um, especially in this cultural time. Um, but I believe the most powerful testimonies of our time are our personal testimonies about who Jesus is to you and who Jesus is um, in our lives. And that can really change people's hearts. Um, second, my second point I want to make is that um, this was a very intentional meeting, highly illegal meeting, but it was planned and schemed by highly intellectual and religious people bringing their own agendas to the table. Um, asking each other what they think and going through their own false testimonies when they're ignoring the presence of the Savior in, the, in, in their presence. And I just think that's kind of crazy. Um, you know, Jesus is sitting right there and they could have easily asked him about the judgment. They could, you know, they spent their whole lives studying religious law, yet even in this time of judgment, they turn to one another 
um, and and make a judgment and reach a judgment on their own. And so I was just thinking about um, how often do our own meetings resolve around revolve around this sort of activity? How often are our meetings um, reveling in our own um, judgments and false testimonies and identities of Jesus? How often do we like find ourselves among um, um, judgmental and scoffing religious people? Um, I just really believe that they're like the two different kinds of religious meanings. One in which the point is to be self-righteous, to condemn, to dispute over what is right or wrong, which eventually leads to heightened emotional judgment, self-destruction, and crucifixion of a savior versus other kinds of religious meetings. Um, the one that comes to mind is Acts 2, um, where you are meeting together in the temple courts, rejoicing in the Lord daily um, and receiving the Holy Spirit those kinds of meetings have power. Um, and so, yeah, I, and I can't say that I have found myself in, I found myself in both types of meetings is what I have discovered. And so um, I want to find myself in more places where when the religious people meet, we receive the Holy Spirit and we have gladness and joy and we break bread together rather than the other type of religious meeting where we condemn and we um, we we find our own judgments even when Jesus is standing right in front of us. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's just what I wanted to share today. Correct. Okay. Um, all right, uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for who you are in my life. Your testimony in my life has changed my life forever. Um, God, I pray that as we go on for the rest of today and this week, and as we approach um, Easter, I pray that you would just really help us to remember um, who you were in the face of humiliation and um, misunderstanding, um, and help us to have power in the ways that we share about who you are in our lives. Help us to remain people that when we meet together, um, we, uh, we, can, we can see you clearly and we can have the Holy Spirit rest on us, God. Um, and I pray that we, though we may find, us, find ourselves among um, religious people or scoffers or people that want to condemn you, condemn you, God, I pray that we would stand firm in, in our knowledge of our identity of who you are. Um, yeah, and I pray that as we go on to the rest of this morning, would you give us victory in the things that we do? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.